Good afternoon and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, wherever and whenever you may be listening to this. I am Matthew McLaughlin, your host as always, here with a very, very special guest. This man was a three-sport athlete in high school, racked over 7,000 all-purpose yards, which was a high school record from Hawkins School in Marion, Ohio. He was a former Ohio Player of the Year his senior year of high school. 1992 Fiesta Bowl MVP with Penn State, a consensus All-American that same year. Number four in Dolphins history in career receptions. Number 25 overall pick in the 1993 draft. One of Dan Marino's favorite receivers, co-host of the Fish Tank podcast, the one and only OJ McDuffie. OJ, thank you for coming on the show, man. Really appreciate it. Wow, bro. That was one hell of an intro, man. I appreciate that, man. I mean, Got to go all out. Got to go all out for the superstars. You made me look better than I was, I think, at that point, man. I, think, <laughs> I appreciate that, dog. <laughs> so first, first thing I always ask people, especially times like these, how are you doing? How how are you? How are you and your family with COVID? Yeah, we're doing we're doing pretty well, man. We've been uh, extremely safe down here in Florida. Uh, Florida's a hot spot at one point, and uh, you know we we were able to. Um, you know, elude all that activity for the most part. A lot of friends that we knew though got, got sick and a couple of people got really sick. Um, but uh, we are a blessed family and, um, you know, we know a lot of friends and, and other family members that have had it bad, but for us personally in our house, it's been pretty good for us. And that's always great. Always appreciating the small things in life. Yeah, yeah. So let's just jump right into it. And obviously I got to ask some of the generic media questions. You grew up in Marion, Ohio. Uh, were you always a kid that loved sports or did that kind of like, were you, did you, did you get attached to sports later in life? No, no. From day one, you know, I grew up with, um, you know, a family of 13. My mom was one of 13. So my wow. uncles and, you know, my cousins, we, we competed nonstop from the day I was in, when I was in diapers. So that was always <laughs> into me to play sports. You know, all my uncles played sports. I'm the only child, but all my uncles played sports and it was just in our DNA to play, you know, from the moment we woke up to the moment we went to bed, you know, it was always competition going on. So who were some of your favorite athletes and teams growing up? Because for me, I always, I grew up an Eagles fan from the Philadelphia area Eagles. I idolized guys like Deshaun Jackson, Michael Vick, like some of those guys that were just great, great athletes. Who were some of the influences that maybe your uncles, you mentioned that said, Hey, you got to pay attention to this guy. Cause this guy's a stud. Yeah, well, growing up, you know, I think a lot of people um, became Cowboy fans when they had, you know, the Cowboys were on TV all the time. So I always loved Tony Dorsett, you know, Drew Pearson, Tony Hill, all those guys in the Cowboys, uh, you know, all back, all the way back to Roger Stallback and, and and Danny White and those guys, man. And then I moved to Cleveland, and that's where I went to high school. You know, then I became a huge Browns fan. Bernie Kosar, Brian Sight, you know, uh, you know, I mean, just so the Mac boys, you know, so many guys in Cleveland – yeah, I finally was in a city where, you know, football meant everything. And that was, that meant a lot to me. So started off as a Cowboy fan because they were always on TV, living in central Ohio. And I moved to Cleveland and became strictly a Browns fan until I, until the day I got drafted by the Dolphins, of course. <laughs> well, which is strange now to say, hey, Cleveland had so much talent back in the day. And then now Cleveland's making this miraculous, well, not miraculous, but an incredible playoff run highlighted by that dominant win over the Steelers. Is the inner Browns in you, fan in you saying, finally, we're finally getting some momentum going and hopefully getting out of the dark ages? 
Of course, man. I mean, I, I cheer so hard for that city, no matter what. You know, I've, I've lived out here in Miami. The Marlins have played the the Indians in you know in World Series, and I I had to quietly root for the Indians. You know, because I know it's my hometown. You know, I, you know, having LeBron down here. You know, when he was when he was playing for the Cavs, I mean, I, I watched two teams. I watched the Heat and the Cavs. You know, mm-hmm. and then he came to us. So I had the, the Heat and still had the Cavs, even though LeBron was here. And then back to you know the Heat and the Cavs. So. Uh, I'm just such a huge fan of the city, you know, and the sports and and the fans and how they love their sports, man. That uh, once I got to Cleveland, it was like, uh, I mean, it was a no brainer, man. It was all in with with that city in every single sport. And obviously, I love Cleveland. I'm rooting hard for them. I hope they uh, do well and hopefully upset the Bills. But we'll see uh, how that goes. Tall task. So it's a tall task. It's it's a very tall I think task. Cleveland, oh, I think Cleveland's headed to KC though, right? Oh yeah, KC, KC. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. right. Correct. My yeah. mistake. And I just recorded, I just recorded <laughs> an an al- analysis of those games earlier today. My mistake. So, obviously, let's get into your background a little bit. You grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, as you said. You moved there from a young age. Was Ohio State a team that you were pulling for? Because you eventually went to Penn State. You're wearing the Penn State hat for all of our listeners. Was Ohio State one of those teams that you were looking for to try and get on, or was Penn State sort of the always the go-to? Like, what was your recruitment process like? No, Penn State um, came in at the beginning of my recruiting process, but Ohio State was always the school I wanted to go to. I always wanted to go to Ohio State. I, I grew up a Buckeye, you know what I mean? And that, that's huge for us. I used to watch their games on Saturday and then watch them again on Sunday morning, every single football game, <laughs> you know? So, uh, yeah, Ohio State was – so deep in our home and in our DNA. Um, and I was, I was 1000% going to Ohio state until my senior year, they fired Earl Bruce, you know, the head coach mm. there and they brought in John Cooper. And um, at that point I, just, I didn't feel the same comfort level going to Ohio state. And, you know, it could have worked out, but we had a meeting with John Cooper and it didn't go very well with him and my mom, him, myself, and my mom. And that is the reason I did not go to Ohio state. And, um, then it came down to Joe Paterno and Lou Holtz. My mom wanted me to go to Notre Dame and Lou Holtz. I wanted to go to Penn State and Notre Dame. I mean, uh, Penn State and Joe Paterno. And so we we see how that worked out. Even though she's usually right. She was usually right. This time she let me make my own decision. So it worked out well. So what did Lou Holtz come to your house? Like, were there any memorable, memorable interactions with him? Yeah, Lou Holtz didn't come to my house. He came to my school. Joe Paterno came to my school. Uh, Gary Moeller, who was um, – who was uh, recruiting from Michigan, you know, all came to my school, Ron Dickerson and, you know, came to my house, you know, from Penn state. I mean, it was, um, it was interesting how we had to narrow it all down to the people that we wanted to talk to. We wanted to let in the house. Uh, my high school coach, Cliff Walton at Hawkins school was so instrumental in, you know, filtering everything that was coming through. Um, we originally had somewhere like 80 something scholarship offers. You know, and we, then we had to narrow it down to 20 and then down to 10 and then our final five. And and so he did most of that, that legwork for me. And it was it, it made it a lot easier for me to concentrate on school and, and, and sports. You know, it was like you like you mentioned earlier, I was in a lot of sports. I actually played baseball and ran track at the same time. So uh, so from football to basketball to baseball and track at the same time. You know, I was a busy man in high school trying to figure out a way to get into college uh, rent free. <laughs> <laughs> totally understandable. But as someone who I rode in high school, which is about when it comes to clout, probably as low of a sport as possible. We're just a bunch of kids rowing in spandex 
on a river. Makes no sense at all. Makes no sense. I admit that. <laughs> I admit that. Um, I watch in the Olympics, man. I do watch it in the Olympics. So it is, I mean, when all else fails and there's no other sports on, I will catch some rowing on an Olympics, you know? So Absolutely incredible. Uh, it's an incredible sport, and those are incredible athletes. But as a football player, I'm always interested, well, at least in your recruitment specifically, what were some of the critical factors that led to your decision to Penn State over some of the other schools that you mentioned? Well, I think number one, it had to be a, a, a reputable um, university, which all of them were. So my final five were Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Notre Dame, and UCLA. So that was that was going to be okay. Educationally, I was going to be I was going to be fine going to every one of those schools. And um, you know, being close to home was one of the other ones that I wanted to look at. You know, I went to UCLA because it's my first time ever on a plane. I'd never been to California, so I took that visit, and it was. It was okay, but I was tired the whole time. Jet lag, <laughs> I was allowed to be there for 48 hours, so that didn't work out so well for me either. So, But being close to home was important. My mom being able to drive to any home game, you know, that we had. And that was, you know, so Ohio State obviously would have been ideal. It was an hour or two hours from, from home. But Penn State, Notre Dame, and Michigan were all within driving range too. So that's why those are my, my final ones. And, you know, then they even finished the highway from, from Cleveland to – to Penn State so that that made it even easier for my mom to get there so that was important for me definitely a huge factor um I totally understand that uh as someone who is a student at Penn State now it's it was definitely like I at first growing up I wanted to go out west I was done with Philly weather I was done with the cold <laughs> screw this I want to go to UC USC UCLA then what ends up happening I go to Penn State and it's actually very very great I I'm enjoying it so far uh, but obviously when you're going into the football program, especially under Joe Paterno's watch, I'm sure that was a very, very different experience. What was the tone set? Like, did he, did he just set it from day one that like, you're going to have to earn your spot or was it how, what was that process like going into that huge program? Yeah. And that's like, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. I, you know, I, I missed part of what your, your first question was my reason for going to Penn state. And one of the main reasons was Joe gave me the opportunity to play baseball as well. You know, a couple of the other universities that I could just play football. And, you know, another one is he wanted me to play wide receiver, which is something I wanted to do. I played running back all my life until that point, you know. So uh, so Joe never promised anything. And what he did promise was I was going to get a degree. We're going to play possibly for a national championship and I could play baseball. Those are the things that he promised me and all those three things he, you know, he fulfilled. Any any university or coach that promised you the, promised you the world, you should steer steer clear of those guys. You know what I mean. And that's one thing that I loved about Joe was he didn't overpromise and he definitely overdelivered. Definitely for sure. So what was that memorable run like? Because Penn State, besides this last season, which was atrocious, but outside of that, Joe Paterno's tenure as head coach was pure greatness. One of the, one of the best resumes that you could ask for outside of like a Nick Saban type coach. Incredible. What was that? What were the, those four years like of routinely contending? You're in the top 25 almost like every season. What was that process? What was that? What were those practices like? And how did you have any memorable like game day moments that you could share? Well, I know Joe, man, I, I tell you, it, it was the best, the best, the best situation for me, man. Not only from a football standpoint, you know, I've got my degree as I'm in my office, I can, you know, look up and see it on the wall. Um, but also, you know, the, the people that I met there, that's one of the reasons I didn't go to Notre Dame. The guys that were hosting me, I didn't see me wanting to hang out with them on a daily basis. 
when, when I went to Penn State, you know, the guys that were my hosts were dudes that I'm like, you know what, this is this is where I need to be because when I'm not playing football, I'm not in class. Who am I going to be hanging out with? These are the kind of guys mm-hmm. that I want to hang out with. And that was a huge fact for me. And to this day, you know, some of those guys are my best friends, you know. And even moving forward from there, you know, I had a couple hosts. I hosted a couple guys myself after that that were big-time guys, Bobby Ingram, and you might have heard of Kajana Carter. You know, oh, yeah. he's a yeah, he's a guy that is the godfather to my kids. You know what I mean? So that's how close the relationship, you know, goes from, you know, going to Penn State and the guys that I met there and, you know, the guys that I'm like best friends with at this point still. And so, you know, it's like playing for Joe was like getting ready for life. You know, being at breakfast at eight o'clock in the morning, no matter what time you're at class, because, you know, he said you can't sleep in in life. You got to get up. You got to go to work. He was preparing us for life and not just for football, you know, study hall. If you cut class, Matt, he's going to follow you for two weeks or have somebody follow you for two weeks to make sure you're going to class. You know, that was more important than anything. You know, how you teach yourself, how you respect yourself, how you respect your family, how you respect the university. Those are those are important to him, you know, and that was uh, it was great life lessons, man. All my clocks, my wife, she goes, it drives her crazy. All my clocks in my house are 10 minutes fast, you know, (laughs) because I want to make sure I'm on, you know, 10 minutes fast. If anything less than 10 minutes, you're late for Joe Paterno. And I love that lesson as well, man. So, uh, so many things that he taught us other than football, uh, how to be a great young man and, you know, in in public and and how to respect yourself and, you know, going to class and and the work ethic. Uh, That's what, that's what it was all about. Yeah. I can totally see that. Um, My parents raised me a similar way where, 10 minutes before you're, you're on time, 20 minutes before you're early and so right. on and so forth. <laughs> um, so I definitely get that. Uh, but what was that first moment like where you check into a game against an Ohio state or Michigan, like a huge big 10 rival. Is it just so surreal to see like all the fans just going nuts, either good or bad when you're on the road or at home? Like, what was that first moment? Like where you're like, Holy shit, I'm in a big 10 game. Yeah. I'm, it's crazy because you say that because I, I missed the Big Ten by one year. I just missed it. So, uh, But I mm. did. What they did oh. to me, they made me go to the Big Ten meeting because the rest of our university was in, everybody except for football. We had to finish up the 92 schedule, you know what I mean? I'm pissed off about it because, you know, growing up in the <laughs> Big Ten, you know, I was like, okay, I get it some, some, you know, some Michigan, some Ohio State action, but I just missed it. But same time, though, you know, we did play some – incredible teams incredible schedules we played notre dame we played uh texas we played usc we played university of miami you know we played byu our schedule was unbelievable but i do miss the fact that i just just missed that damn big 10 schedule man and you know i got when i you know when i got down to miami and i was watching kajan and them and and my boy Bo run against you know against michigan you know against ohio state man I, i was jealous as hell bro (laughs) I'm sure I'm sure because especially like the University of Miami then back then in those days absolute powerhouse from Jimmy Johnson uh to Erickson they just had an an absolute incredible oh so many players that went on to be incredible pros after that you know I mean their whole defensive line were all first round draft picks a couple linebackers were you know Gino Toretta won the Nat I mean won the Heisman there's so much that you know, playing against them was what it was all about, man. And that's how you measure yourself. You know, they were the Alabama in the, in the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Them in Florida State were the Alabama of the 90s, you know. And that was um, that was the measuring stick. And we lost twice. Uh, totals we weren't ready yet. <laughs> hey, 
You always got to start somewhere. You got to start from the ground up. So you go into the Fiesta Bowl against Tennessee. Penn State was actually down 17 to 7 at one point mm-hmm. in that game. What was the uh, attitude when you guys are down early? Like, what's the attitude? What's the team culture like? Because to me as a fan, that's always fascinating to see how is this team going to rebound? How are they going to get their heads right going into halftime or whatever it is? What, what, what were some of the guys saying on the sideline at that point? Well, see, Tennessee was another team that was stacked going in. We knew they were a great team um, going in. They had probably on their offense, they had two first-rounders on defense. They had like four first-rounders, future first-rounders. Well, there's a few coming in the next draft, and the following draft, they had a couple of guys that were going to go in the first round. And they talked so much shit, man. You know, we were at a little barbecue, little cookout, and uh, they were talking so much trash that we just, from that point on, we wanted to destroy them. So, yeah, they jumped out to a lead, but we knew that, you know, we started leaning on them, start putting that wood on them, started hitting them hard. You know, they were a finesse <laughs> team. We went out there and were, were extremely physical, and then we started putting it on them. Me and, you know, what I did on offense and what Reggie Givens did on defense, I mean, there was no denying. I think we scored 28 straight after that or something. I'm not even yep. sure. Yeah. Yep, so, yep, yeah, yep. we – yeah, they – they didn't want any of it after that. So <laughs> it, that was a fun game right there, you know, especially plus we're in Phoenix. I mean, come on, man, you can't. And that's one thing about Penn State too. The places I played bowl games in, I was in Miami twice. I was in San Diego and I was in Phoenix. Come on, you, yeah, those yeah. are bowl trips right there, bro. Yeah, that's, hey, I'm enjoying the nice beaches. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if Paterno would allow that, but got to sneak on out to the beach at some have point. Have to, have to. Um, so you get drafted by Miami in the first round uh you obviously you're going into don shula hit towards the later years of his career as uh head coach with miami dolphins incredible coach uh who unfortunately we lost earlier this year or last year i should say 2020 um what were your first impressions of him as a head coach did he was he another guy like paterno that set the tone early and say hey this is how the team works yeah, it was different. It's a different ball game, man. It was like really strange going from, you know, college to the pros. And I can even go back to my high school coach. You know, people always ask me, like, you play for two of the greatest coaches ever. And, you know, and Joe Paterno and Don Shula. Well, Coach Cliff Walton, my high school football coach, was right up there, you know, when it comes to that, uh, my, um, you know, my, the greatest coaches I ever had. And my Uncle Homer, who really started me off on everything. Back <laughs> I, but uh, Cliff Walton, Joe Paterno, and, uh, you know, and coach Don Schuler, the greatest coaches ever, man. And it was kind of an easier transition for, transition for me coming from Cliff to Joe to Don, you know, because those guys are, they're, they're cut from the same cloth, you know, the work ethic, the, uh, you know, the, the personal responsibility, you know, doing your job type of attitude, the hard work, you know, the respect that all of them got from, not only just, you know, within the organization, but throughout the, the country or throughout the state or whatever it was, you know, so it's kind of the same thing. One difference, though, was that, you know, Coach Walton and Coach Paternal, there was zero cussing. There was zero <laughs> four-letter words. When I got to the NFL, every other word from everybody was a four-letter word. So it became a, a learning experience for me right there, man. But uh, the same amount of respect. And I, I was ready. I was ready for him because of uh, the great coach I had before him. So obviously uh, you mentioned it, zero cussing, like all that good stuff. What was it like going into a situation where Dan Marino's your starting quarterback and he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time? What was that? How did that connection form? Because for my generation, a guy like Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, 
they're hard on new receivers. They, they want to win now. So they expect receivers to pick things up early. Well, how did that connection form? Because you guys formed a really close bond and obviously had great chemistry with each other. Yeah. I'll tell you what, it wasn't easy at first. Cause you know, he's a pit guy, you know, Pitt and Penn state guys just don't seem to get along at, at that time. So, you know, he didn't want to throw me the damn ball until I had to cuss him out a couple of times. Say, yo, Danny, man, throw me the damn ball. You know, I'm open, you know, no, I think, <laughs> I think more than anything, man, it became a, my perseverance, his trust in me, being where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be there. You know, guys were coming and going as receivers, but I was that constant. You, you mentioned it earlier, you know, in the, uh, in the start of the podcast that, you know, I played in one place. I played here for nine years officially. And so the fact that guys were coming and going, I became his go-to guy and, and a security blanket. And I think that was a part of the reason that, you know, he started having more trust in me. You know, we led the league in, in receptions in 1998 because he had way more trust in me than other guys. And, you know, I thought that was important. Uh, so we definitely developed a rapport that, you know, that we still, we're still tight to this day, you know, and uh, that's, that was important to me. Yeah, for sure. I think that's an underestimated part of the game, especially now, even today, we see wide receivers get signed or drafted. That chemistry is always important. As an Eagles fan, Carson Wentz, ugh. We were talking about that before the show. <laughs> Obviously, the Eagles have had receiver problems for years, but yeah. I think that is an important part. And what was, like, is it really that difficult? I, this is going to sound like a completely stupid question, but is it really how Never hard a is it? stupid question, to, bro. <laughs> how hard is it to memorize a playbook, like especially a route tree, for instance? Like DK Metcalf, when he was coming in through the draft, a lot the big criticism was, he can't memorize the or can't run the whole route tree. Do you think as a wide receiver that's overblown by like GMs or scouts, or do you think that's a fair criticism in some situations? Well, running a whole route tree is, is one thing. Learning it's easy. Route trees are very simple, especially smart guys like yourself. You know, it's really zero through nine and everything pretty much tells you what it is. Um, but being able to run, it's a difference. You know, for me, I can run any route under seven. You know what I mean? But when you get to eight and nine, which is the eight to the deep post and nine to takeoff, those become difficult for me because I'm not the fastest guy. Mm. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I, we know how fast DK is. So maybe they're talking about some of the shorter routes where he can't stop all of a sudden. Mm. That's a problem with a lot of big guys where they're running so fast and they're so big that it's hard for them to stop on a dime on a 10-yard route, a five-yard route, and that becomes an issue. So, you know, playbooks, man, that, that's your job at that point. So if you don't get into the playbook, you know, then you're not doing your job. And that's the first that's the first thing you have to do. And if you don't know your play, I don't care how good you are, how talented you are, you won't be on any rosters because they know you're, you know, you're not smart enough to handle it. And some some offenses obviously are way tougher than other offenses. So, you know, for the offense I got into here when I first got here, it was all there was all memorization. There was no rhyme or reason for anything. So that made it tough. You know, that made it really tough. You really just had to remember what everybody did. And for us, you know, we could go with one wide receiver or we go five wide receivers and you can still call the same play. So if depends on where I'm lined up in the, on the line of scrimmage is what responsibility I have. It could be X, Y, Z, tight end, or it could be, um, I mean, not tight end, a running back or fullback. So those are all different positions. So we go five wide, you got to know everybody's position. I could be playing a fullback position, running back position, Y or X or Z. So, and that, that became the whole problem at the beginning. But once I got into that book, you know, and memorized everything, that was, you know, that made it work. But 
when I got later in Jimmy Johnson's offense, it was more route tree and numbers. And I'm like, this is, this is elementary. It was really easy. I don't know why we were meeting. We could have done that. Just send send me my, just send me what my number is and I'll run that route. So, I mean, those those are the two differences in offenses. And so no matter what, back to what I was saying, it's your job to learn whatever playbook it is and go out there. And and the key to me was learning every single position because you know, every single position you will dress out every Sunday. You'll dress out every single Sunday. You'll get game checks instead of practice squad checks. And that's (laughs) that's a huge difference between the two. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned going from Don Chula to Jimmy Johnson. What was that process or what was that turmoil like and how how handling that? You mentioned the playbook schematically. It was very easy. But culturally, this is a guy who's coming from University of Miami, Dallas Cowboys. You're like, holy shit, Jimmy Johnson's in our locker room. What was that change like and how how did the team react to it? Like what were some of those behind the scenes things that may have not been open to the public? Well, you know, a lot of people were trying to, you know, everybody thought Don it, you know, was past his prime, Don mm-hmm. Shula. You know, I, I disagree. You know, I thought he was a man's man and he showed us so much respect and love. And, you know, we had the players out there at times, the players didn't show up, I think, for, for Don Shula at the end. And we know, in my opinion, that Jimmy was a lion. He was a, just waiting for Don Shula to either call it quits or fail, you know? Um, so when he came on, I wasn't the most excited about it. You know, I'm a huge Don Shula fan. You know, Don Shula took a chance with me in the first round. He's a rookie, man. I've been there for seven, six, five or six years, whatever it was. And so the Jimmy thing was, you know, it was nice for a lot of fans. They wanted, they wanted a change, but it fizzled. You know, he, he, he wasn't out there coaching the way I thought he should be coaching. And that's just my opinion. And uh, he wasn't, a, you know, of all the coaches I mentioned, remember his name never came up, right? Because mm-hmm. I don't think he was a great coach. I think he's a great talent evaluator, but when it came to coaching, I think he fell short. So for me, it was just a matter of trying to survive and, and get to the end of my contract or get a new contract from, from Jimmy and, uh, you know, just playing Miami as long as I could because, uh, you know, it wasn't a comfortable situation for a lot of guys, especially Shula guys. You know, it was, it was a tough deal for Shula guys. Uh, trying to, you know, impress Jimmy again. And he only kept a couple of us. You know, he brought him, he almost overhauled the whole thing. So me and Marino were two, and then a couple other guys that he kept. The rest of them he let go. So I mean, it was a it was very interesting time period when you know when Shuler retired and Jimmy took over. So you mentioned he's a great talent evaluator, and I totally agree with that, that he has picked some of the greatest players to ever put on the shoulder pads. Um, what, like one, one player that sticks out in my mind, I should say in the 1997 draft is Jason Taylor, a guy who's a staple in Miami as a legend, rightfully so he absolute star and it should be recognized as one of the greatest defenders in this game. What was, what were those practices? Like did right away, was he, was he a guy that you saw and was like, that guy's the real deal or did he grow over time as he learned under under Jimmy Johnson and under the defense. Yeah, you know, when Jason came in as a tall, pretty boy, you know, from Akron, <laughs> you know, and uh, grew up in the, in the Pittsburgh area, and uh, he was undersized when he came in, and he learned real fast, you know, you know how how grown man this sport is, and I think that going against guys like you know who should be in the Hall of Fame like Richmond Webb and Keith Sims and guys like that, it it matured Jason. And Jason got bigger and stronger. He was always fast and quick. You know, people don't realize how strong Jason was. Jason, you know, he 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 busted his ass in the weight room as well, so he could definitely he could you know he had strength and he could run 
smart as hell. And so it just took him a little time to, like anybody, to grow into the league. Yep. So at the beginning, I mean, he got into a couple fights, and that showed that he was ornery. He wasn't going to take any crap from anybody, man. You know, so I said, so I like this dude. Yeah, he's getting his butt whooped <laughs> in these fights, but at least he's not backing down to these veterans or these bigger guys. And next thing you know, you know, he's having, you know, great seasons, uh, defensive player of the year, Walter Payton man of the year, and then, of course, in the Hall of Fame now. So where he deserves. Of course. And another great cornerback who I think gets overlooked on some of those Dolphins team was Sam Madison. Mm-hmm. Great cornerback who I think gets overlooked in NFL history sometimes. Did you ever go one-on-one with him? Did you burn him a couple times, or did he get the best of you? Yeah, you know what? It's in practice, you know, you you go against all of them. So they win some, you win some, you know. <laughs> the hardest guys to beat, and people don't realize on the NFL roster, the hardest guys to beat are your own teammates because they've seen every play you have. They know every move that you have. You know, going against Ty Law was easier than going against Sam Madison or Pat Sertan, you know, or when I first got there, you know, Troy Vincent or J.B. Brown. You know, those are the guys that were the toughest to go against because they know everything that we have. They know every single move that you have, you know, so those are the tough ones to go against. So, yeah, me and 2-9, we went at it a lot. You know? <laughs> and then Terrell Bucky came in. I said, let me – these young guys need to leave me alone. Let me work with this older cornerback. We can have this brother-in-law situation. So let let the older right. guys do their own yeah, thing right yeah, now. Yeah, exactly right. Leave us alone, young young bucks, you know. <laughs> and so Pat's son now is Pat Sertan II. Uh corner from Alabama is going to be a top 10 pick probably. So, you know, that those, those corners that we played against, you know, now their kids are coming up and doing big things. It is terror. It is terrifying. Like I'm, I'm looking at some of these players on Alabama yeah. and even like some of the third or fourth stringers could probably be all pros at another program. And I'm like, that guy's supposed to be the same age as me. That's a grown man. That grown, is a grown man. man. You see him on TV. They look grown, grown, don't they, man? Yeah, they, they are grown. So, um, what were you mentioned? Uh, Ty Law, Troy Vincent, some of the other cornerbacks. What was like your favorite matchup going into a week where you're like, Oh, I, I can't wait to study his film, I can't wait to get him on a couple of routes? Did you have any of those rivalries? I felt that way every week, you know, and there were different things that I could do against different guys, you know. Um, I excuse me, I didn't have any, um, you know, I, I treat every DB like a different DB, no matter the name didn't matter to me. Mm. All I cared about was technique, speed, strength, you know, weaknesses, you know, what our game plan was. Because different guys, you know, shoot, I went against Deion Sanders. I knew it wasn't going to go by him. So I had to figure out other ways to try to get open. I never did get open against him, but that's, that's <laughs> another story. You know, or at least Danny didn't even throw it my way because he said, nah, you know what? I'm not even going to try Deion this game, you know. But other guys, though, you know, you know they're either not as fast or they're not as strong. So you try to – you know, bull rush, whatever. So every single week, it was just more game planning against it. You know, the opponent and my opponent's weaknesses. Whether I'm inside in the slot, outside at X, outside at Z, you know, wherever it was, I just had to figure out, you know, my my best way to have success against them. Yeah, I totally understand that. That makes a lot of sense. I, as a guy who's grown up in the TO, the Ocho Senko age, you know, you kind of get used to the receivers who. You know, they're not going to they're not going to be afraid to let you know that they're great. Right. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. yeah. So obviously that's a, a big thing with wide receivers. Do you think that that wide receivers diva stereotype is earned or do you think it just depends on the player? Oh, we're all divas. Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> we, OK, we, I got to give you respect for that. Yeah, we want to be. We, you know, our, our uniforms have to be right. You know, look <laughs> great, play great. You know, I used to lay my uniform out on the floor. If it didn't look right, or, you know, I wasn't feeling good about it. 
you know, I made sure I've made the Penn State uniform look as fly as I could. You know what I mean? Of course, you got to get that blue and white, right? Got to make it look good, you know? So that was uh, that was always important. So, yeah, we're 1,000% divas, you know, from the way we dress on the plane, you know, or travel, you know, to some of these guys, a lot of them are Louis Vuitton luggage, you know, the cars <laughs> they drive, they're yeah, 1,000% a bunch of divas. Totally, totally. Uh, I just love, I love the, how the, uh, the pregame tunnel has turned into like a spectacle now. And now we're, we're incorporating that into like the runway. And I'm like, okay, I get it. You have a much larger bank account balance than I do. That's, that's, <laughs> I can't fault you there, but uh, let's get into some of like the big storylines in the NFL today. Uh, obviously we talked about the Browns a little bit. Cl- Pittsburgh did not help their case where Juju Smith-Schuster said the Browns are still the Browns, nameless gray faces. Chase Claypool uh, said recently on TikTok, of course, uh, that the Browns will get smoked by the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Do you think Do you think there's something to just, as a teammate, pulling, pulling the guy aside and say, hey, shut up, you're not helping our case? Do you think that's a culture problem? Or do you think that's just a an, an, uh, receiver who may have not fully matured into the league? Uh, you know what, man? There's so much trash talk going on nowadays, man. You know, <laughs> and bottom line is this: when somebody writes a check, you know, the rest of the team has to be able to to to, to cash it for him. You know, so you know, you better hope his teammates or whenever somebody says stuff like that, teammates better have their back. You know, it used to be called bulletin board material, as we talk about. Oh you know, yeah. But because literally, they cut the articles out and put them up on a bulletin board back then. <laughs> now it's instantaneous. You know, it's social media. Somebody says something, it's there in less than a second. You know, now you, there's no time to retract it. You know, or, or take it back. You know, that's that's the new iPhone wallpaper. They're looking at that every oh, single day. Yeah. I love it. You know, I love it, man. I was saying the other day how nice some of these people, some of these guys are to each other. People are upset about the whole, you know, Ravens dancing on the Titans logo, and it happened from the Titans a couple weeks before that. Man, I, I'm I'm cool with that, man. It's time that you need to have some enemies. You need to hate your teammate. I mean, your uh, your opponents, man. And that way, you'll go out there and play your hardest against them. When you're over there picking people up and you know not hitting people because it's your buddy, I mean, that's not football. So I'm I'm I, I love the fact that guys are talking trash, but they better make sure they back it up. And I love that people say it's fuel on the other team. I need fuel. I need to see some fire out there. Football's exactly. a fiery game. It's an emotional game, and whatever you need to get going use it to get going of course and as an eagles fan watching a guy like brian dawkins he was an emotional leader he got that team fired up did you ever have any of those bulletin board moments where shula or another coach came in and said hey guys this is what they're saying about us let's go prove them wrong you know we were actually in a good position where you know most of the time we were we were favorite teams to win you know having danny and having having shula and we had advantage over most most opportunities man but there were some times where you know some teams were talking but you know it wasn't the loud chatter you hear nowadays it wasn't mm-hmm. about somebody's ability it's all more about you know we we should win this game you know we're at home you know just the the, the, the i guess the company line they would always say uh, but nobody really came at me personally they say some things in games you know, a little personal, and that's when it became a dirty game. But before that, I didn't have much bulletin board material. You I'd, know, to get I'd imagine Dion was taking most – was giving out most of the garbage to you. Dion, <laughs> man, he didn't have to say anything to me, man. You know, it's like a rapper, you know. When, it, when a rapper responds to another rapper, you know, you're giving him too much credit, you know, and you're giving him some publicity. <laughs> Dion didn't have to do it. He didn't want – he didn't need to say anything to me. He knew he was superior at that point. <laughs> so <laughs> – so- little sidetrack here were you a big rap fan growing up because i am now obviously 
Um, I, you know, I'm more of a R&B, hip hop, a mm. little bit. You know, I, there were some artists back growing up that I, that I enjoyed, you know. Um, I'm not into it nowadays, some of these guys. I still like the old guys, you know, you know, Jay-Z or Nas or, or Mace or guys like that. You know, those are my still my my go-to guys for the most part. You know, if Tupac or Biggie was alive, you know, those be those be huge. But some of the, the new guys, I just don't get them. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. Um, but who did you th- who do you think won that that diss uh, that rivalry that was going on with Jay Z and Nas? Like, who do you think did you did you have a winner in that? Were you just like, wow, I'm just gonna step out of this? <laughs> yeah, I I, it's, it, I can't, man. I gotta leave that one alone, man, because <laughs> both are two of my favorites. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's get back to the NFL. So Antonio Brown, he has finally gotten his career back on track. Now he's in Tampa Bay. Him and Tom Brady are clicking on offense, had a touchdown over Washington. But going like a year to two years ago when he was having that whole exit with Pittsburgh and uh, Oakland, when the Raiders were in Oakland at that point, is that a normal occurrence that just doesn't get brought up in the NFL where an athlete may get too caught up in like the, the media and everything like that? Does that happen a lot more than we really know? Way, way more, yeah. Way, way more than we than we know nowadays, especially because I'm, you know, I think one thing now, man, social media right now, I mean, these guys are building a brand now, you know, and they're marketing themselves, and it's 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 entertaining for the most part. Some guys do go over over overboard with it, but I mean, these these guys are it's incredible seeing some of the material that comes out, you know, and how these that seem like most of them have like a film crew rolling with them nowadays, man. But everything's a soundbite. You know, and, and everybody's about their followers. And, you know, even my sons, I have an 18 and a 12 year old boys, you know, they're all about their followers, you know. And I couldn't imagine me trying to play football in this day and age with so much stuff that you have to worry about. These guys are more worried about some of that stuff than they are about going out there and winning games, in my opinion. So, are your sons playing football or are you kind of just waiting to see if they want to get into it? No, well, if you're 18 down here, 12, even 12 down here, and you're not playing football by now, it's too late because football is so <laughs> king down here. And my boys play baseball. Oh, okay. Play baseball, yeah. One goes to the University of Tampa and plays baseball there, and my youngest plays for the travel team here in my, in my city. That's awesome. That's awesome. So just to wrap up, uh, I like a little lightning round segment called Off the Dome. I do 30 seconds on my stopwatch on my phone just to get through five quick questions. Okay. Sounds good? Yep, sounds good. All right, three, two, one. Are aliens real, yes or no? Yes. Jordan or Kobe, who are you picking? Jordan. Favorite route to run? Stop route. Randy Moss or Terrell Owens? Randy Moss, cash money, homie. Favorite TV show right now? The Bachelor. Hey, most guys watch more guys watch that than we're willing to admit. <laughs> I can't fault that. I can't fault that. That's impressive. Oh man. All right. Well, thank you so much, OJ, from everyone here at the podcast, which is only myself pretty much. You got it, man. Thank you very much. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure you're following us on all of our social media platforms as well as podcast services like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all that good stuff. Uh, Your subscription and follows mean just as much as you actually playing the episode. Uh, Thanks again for listening. Um, 
and I hope that you guys have a great rest of your day and hopefully you enjoyed this one. So 